Well, welcome back to my new show, Women's Voices, Women's Wisdom. And to kick off this morning, I am going to speak to a beautiful lady known as Sarah Norton. And Sarah lives in Barrel. And she's an artist. She's a creative. I met Sarah at a women's circle, I think it was last year, where she did the most amazing craft activity with us, which we may talk about later. I don't know. And, um, but I just thought it'd be really nice to bring Sarah onto the show. And she stepped in at the last minute for someone who couldn't make it today, which is fantastic. Um, what I like about Sarah is that I just called her yesterday and said, Oh, do you think, you know, you could come on my radio show like tomorrow? And she said, Um, um, okay. <laughs> so I thought that was great. So welcome, Sarah. How are you going? I'm well, Kath. Thank you so much. Yes, I did have a bit of an um, but then I was a real yes. So hello. <laughs> And what's the weather like up there in Barrel today? It's actually a nice day in yes, finally. It's been so foul. Oh, look, we've had really great – we've had a fantastic winter. It's a beautiful blue sky and uh, not too frosty. Yesterday we had a cracker of a frost, minus 7 degrees in some parts. Today is not that. Yeah, our pipes were frozen yesterday Um, Mm. and, you know, the hot water pipe. uh, Luckily we have a filter on one tap and so – for some reason, that tap worked, uh, but just the other tap that has cold and hot, you know, wasn't working. Um, and, yeah, so that's always a bit of a thing when you go turn on the tap and nothing comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's beautiful here today. So, yeah, thank you, Sarah, for coming on, being my first guest on Women's Voices, Women's Wisdom. And you have both a beautiful voice and lots of wisdom to share, I am sure. Um, so let's kick off. Um Sarah, so on the weekend, I came to your place, beautiful studio in Barrel with my friend, and we participated in one of your intuitive weaving workshops. Um, so for anyone who hasn't heard of intuitive weaving, which was me up until last weekend, <laughs> uh, I'm going to let Sarah explain the process. Uh, but first, before she explains the process, I'd just like to ask Sarah, um, how did you get to this phase of having this lovely studio in your backyard and collecting awesome plants, which you'll tell us about, to help people bring them together into gorgeous sculptures or whatever it is that takes their um, their, their fancy on the day of the workshop. Just talk us through how you got there. Oh, well, thank you, Kath. Yes, the journey. How did it get – how did it – yes, gosh. Well, my background is design. I'm, I'm a trained interior designer and I – got really clear in the first 10 years of my career that whilst spaces are critical, they don't transform in the same way that human beings do. So after 10 years of being an interior designer, I trained in communication and got interested in people. How do people transform and what are the conditions that we need to either crack through limiting beliefs or have freedom or explore new parts of ourselves? And it kept coming back to creativity except if I hand you a paintbrush or a pencil, it's likely to send you south or under a coffee table or under your doona. Whereas what I found with when people are working in a, in a creative capacity with literally sticks or vines or, um, in this case, bangalow palm inflorescences, there's not a, an immediate perceived idea about how something should look. And so there's so much more freedom. And how I came to have my studio in the garden is I used to have a studio in Robertson and 
through some changes with the business that I used to lease off, the business closed those studios and I'd only had it for six months. But I had given myself those full six months to work purely as an artist, as a painter and as a sculptor and a weaver. And I've never known the kind of fulfilment and satisfaction that I had in those six months. And despite a lot of other things going on in life, which weren't fabulous, that peace and that access to flow had me, it just took things, everything to next to next level. So when the studio lease ended and we weren't able to renew, there was no question in my mind, I needed a space. And the, the way that I could ensure that I always had access to the space and never had a lease run out on me was clear a corner in my garden and I built the studio. So um, it um, it came really, really quickly in, in a, like a month in thinking this is the only way to, this is the only way to make sure that I get what I need so I can be my best in the world. So refrigerator panels and sliding doors and um, clearing of the garden in less than 10 days, I had a studio, which is where you guys came last weekend. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful place. I really enjoyed the space, just the simplicity of that studio with the refrigerator panels, like you say, um, and the sliding doors. Just the most minimalist, simplest thing with a couple of tables inside and most importantly, the table with delicious brie and grapes and (laughs) (laughs) cake. (laughs) It's important. Look, you have to feed the soul, right? And that means feeding your stomach. Totally. <laughs> yeah, so I know that uh, my friend Sonia and I both had a wonderful time and um, on the way home uh, back to near Yass, I think uh, I talked Sonia's ear off <laughs> talking about how amazing I found the whole process and I kept asking her if she wanted me to drive and she said, oh, no, you know, you're keeping me awake with talking, so it's fine. <laughs> What did you find most magical or that had you talking endlessly and so filled up with all the good stuff? What what made the biggest difference for you in that workshop versus another? Oh, now who's interviewing here? So who, Sarah? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever asked me a question before. Go you. Uh, Okay. Well, I can't rightly remember exactly, but uh, for me, I just liked – I've always liked to fiddle with bits of wood and sticks, but I've never made them manage to stick together very well. So for me, it was just amazing to learn really how simple it is. And especially when the trick is that first you soak the wood in some water, Mm, that makes it a lot easier to work with. (laughs) That simple thing, like we just don't know this kind of basic stuff. We've lost so much knowledge, so much wisdom, you know, over the thousands of years since uh, in non-traditional societies, I mean, in like – you know, agricultural-based modern societies or what have you, people generally, we don't, we don't know this, this very basic stuff. So if I wanted to, you know, weave a little um, tripod thing for my, you know, garden, or if I wanted to maybe weave a little wreath at Christmas time or something, you know, I've tried to do that sort of thing and it just never really worked. And I've, um, and if you use string or rope, it's just not quite the same thing. And just that mere fact of, oh, if you actually have it wet and pliable, you can do amazing things with it. So that was a really big thing for me, just this basic knowledge. And I didn't realize that at the time. It's just coming to me now. Um, mm. while I reflect. And the other was the way that you just allowed us to do whatever the heck we wanted, really. Um, I've been to a lot of workshops where there's a bit too much direction. 
you know, mm. there's an end product and that's what you're trying to get to. And, and then, like you say, there's that pressure, especially if it is painting or something permanent like that. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy that kind of thing too, but I'm always finding I'm judging my final product, mm. you know, even though it's, I know that's not the point. But with yours, you know, it's some sticks. <laughs> And, yeah, that's it. That's all it is. And if they break, it doesn't matter and you stick a new one in or you just don't or you just go with the flow. And, and I found that really so um, refreshing, yeah, and really tactile, like nice to work with the Bangalore mm-hmm. palm. For, for anyone who doesn't know a Bangalore palm, Sarah, perhaps you could explain a little bit about what one looks like and how, how you work with it. Yes, gosh, there's so much in, in what you've just shared. So to, the Bangalore palm is – it's a, it's essentially a, a seed. Um, God, I don't even know how to describe them. It's something to the, the technical term that hangs off the palm of a bangalow palm, and it's where it's what the seeds all grow from. And it literally sticks on the side like a, an a, almost like a C, a C angle, if you will, but it would. And then these long strands hang off it, and then you get multiple berries on there. What happens is the berries then dry and fall off or are eaten by birds. And then when the whole thing dries, that C angle that sits around the circumference of the trunk dries and opens in the drying process and then falls to the ground. How fabulous is nature and her engineering? And then and then someone like me comes scurrying along and um, I grab it. And they're really brittle when they're dry at this point, so they break like any twig might. But the minute they've been in water, be it warm water for half an hour to an hour or cold water for a couple of hours, suddenly they become malleable and they're a lot like string. But the key thing is, and I find this so magic, every single one is different. So not just by looking at it can you tell how strong or how um, resilient those sticks are. For example, you've really got to get to know the tension of each one in its own entity. So it's very much a conversation between you and the particular inflorescence that you're playing with. But if I might, Kath, I want to just draw on a couple of things you said earlier. You know that thing about going to an instructional workshop I've been running workshops for, I don't know, nearly 30 years. I run them in the corporate world. I run innovation workshops or design thinking boot camps for small businesses. I've also run oodles of creative workshops. And see, the thing is the client wants the output. And so it's a real challenge in ensuring that they get where they need to get to at the same time having them do the discovering. And, you know, I just have been to a plethora of workshops myself where each instruction ensures that I've got the painting that looks like the style of that painter and it's super satisfying because it's really simple but what it also doesn't do is have me discover for myself the techniques or what's my style or what my language is and both are completely valid and both have to meet a particular market Mm. as I certainly do when I'm delivering a design innovation workshop for example but what I what I stand in in these innovation work, sorry, intuitive workshops is if my job is, a t- is as a teacher, and I don't mean job like paid job, although I often teach at universities, I mean like the archetypal teacher in my DNA. The word educate is Greek and it translates to educare and it literally means to bring forth, so to bring out that which is within. Can you imagine if our education system operated from that place? Oh, look, you just gave me all these 
like goosebumps when you said that. I've never heard the word teacher used in that way. And I thought, yes, and that's exactly what I feel I am as well. And You absolutely operate from that premise. And notice that I didn't, nobody told you that. No. You knew that intuitively because when we get connected to what it is to empower other people, it's not about instructing. It's about empowering. Mm. And that is a fundamental difference. It's that adage, I think, you know, like teach someone to fish versus eat. I've, oh, I've completely butchered that. Yeah. But you, get, you know the one I mean. The it's one, about- it's um, you teach a, um, t- uh, give a man a fish and he has something to eat, but teach a man a fish and he has, you know, something to eat for the rest of his life, something like that. that that's it, that's it. And see, the thing is, in the teaching of how to fish, there's a lot of um, – well, not a lot, but there's a there's a period of non-success. There's a period of learning. There's a period of discomfort. And you and I don't like that. We want instant gratification. And it's why social media is so effective and has been taken up so well and so planetarily it because it's it hits those cortisone or cortisol hits quickly. I get likes and it's instantaneous. A workshop that requires you to discover you requires you to trust me trust you be able to be sitting in that in uncertain space and human beings we don't do uncertainty well and we've also in order to do the space of uncertainty where we can access our intuition and all that stuff that's in there like you are naturally authentically operating from a place of teacher like to bring out what with what is within it has us have to relinquish the right that we know or the right to know or the right or the right that i'm right this is just, I I love that you said there's a period of non-success instead of, mm-hmm. you know, a period when, when we're failing. That's it. <laughs> and because that's immediately what everyone, I remember the kids, you know, when they're younger and they just play, they just draw and paint and make a mess and all this stuff. And then as soon as they get to school and they start judging, they're like, I can't do this. I can't draw. I suck at drawing. I'm a failure. I heard this so much from my kids you know, who are both quite artistic. I mean, I think all kids are. I think I think all kids are equally artistic and they just they just Look, um, I'd even interject have it to say every, I'd even interject to say everyone is creative. Mm. You cannot function as a human being mm. without having creativity. You're driving to work and you see a bunch of construction in front of you and you think, How else will I get to my my intended destination that's creative thinking in the moment and the thing about creativity is it is it instantly when you're operating and and drawing on your creativity you're literally in the moment Mm. it's why you it's why you feel so good when you're going oh what will i do now providing the anxiety of that uncertainty or that non-success doesn't erode your capacity to create yeah now the critical thing there is if you Always avoid that discomfort. You never build the resilience. Yeah. It's wild, right? Because all I want to do is win, succeed, and get away from discomfort. Yeah. Except that's, ironically, that's not where the gold is. And it's when we sit in that uncertainty and build muscle around it, that's actually, hello, resilience, adaptability, versatility, and it's all part of creativity. So. And it's why I now call my business Sarah Norton Creative because I'm clear that what I've been doing for 30 years with the corporate workshops or the mediating or the design thinking or the one-on-one coaching, it's all about that delicious Socratic questioning of how else and what else. Mm, Exactly. 
I'm, I'm so, my brain is just like going ping, ping, ping. I don't know where to start first. <laughs> but just I think that, you know, every schoolroom needs a Sarah as, as the art teacher. That's number one. We'll clone you and put you in every single schoolroom. Because imagine if the kids are in, they go to the art class instead of saying, right, well, today we're going to draw how to learn how to draw this. We say, okay, today we're going to do some non-succeeding. We're just going to get some paper and pencils. We're going to just close our eyes and we're going to scribble and we're going to feel the pencil in our hands and we're going to feel the paper and do some mindful drawing. I mean, I'm doing a little plug here on the side because after I finish talking to you, um, anyone listening in yes, I am going to be the, the CWA Hall at 11.30 after this show where I'll be holding the first one of my Mindful Moments six-week session. little plug for myself. And today we are starting off with Mindful Drumming, but we are going to do Mindful Drawing. And this is exactly, I think, you know, what Sarah's oh, talking so about. Good. You know, like you just – it's a process. It's no final outcome. There's no final product. Well, there is, but it's not one that, you know, you're judging. It's all about enjoying. And the other thing you said about making decisions in that spare of the moment, like at the roadworks or whatever – um, mm. which I had this morning driving from um, Dalton into Gerawa because they're grading. It's a dirt yeah, it's a dirt road and they were grading it because it's got shocking potholes. And all of it, there was a sign saying 40, road work ahead, and I was trying to get my son to school on time and um, because it had taken so long to get all the drums in the car that <laughs> we were running late. Anyway, so it says 40, slow down road work. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, 40, whatever, close enough. I had been going 80. And then all of a sudden, boom, around the corner, there is literally – um, the road had just been graded and there was piles of dirt down the middle of the road and each side of the road was wet and, and muddy with a big pile in the middle. And all, all, But the right-hand side looked harder and more packed than the left-hand side. And, and my son said, oh, I think you should be on the right-hand side. And I'm like, yeah. And my brain made this split decision to go to the right-hand side of the road, which is not necessarily good because I realized that even though it was more hard-packed, I couldn't actually – I didn't know – they had no traffic controls, you know. There was lots of, <laughs> it wasn't like there was a red, green traffic light. And so I'm driving on the right-hand side of the road, and then all of a sudden I went, you know, Kai, I think we need to really be in the left lane because there could be someone coming the other way. So, But to get to the left lane, you had to go over this big pile of muddy dirt. <laughs> and then I got back in the left lane, and it was just a shocker. And then we came finally after a few minutes around a corner and saw the grader. Had to stop still and just let him go past because I couldn't get around him. And um, so I was making these decisions. But the thing is that, like, while even though they weren't necessarily a wise decision, it feels good in the moment. And what I've read is that the brain is only happy when it is solving problems. And absolutely. Um, and so what you're saying is that that split second decision that in the moment those endorphins and everything that we get, it's from solving a problem, and that's what the brain likes. And so have you read the book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F-U-C-K? I have indeed, yes. Yeah, and he talks about that what we want to have is not no problems because then we would just be completely bored, but we want to have better problems to solve. So it's better to have the problem, um, I don't know what to cook to dinner, than the problem, oh, I can't afford to buy any food for dinner. So there's That's like right. a range and, and of problems. I mean, mm. And even our language, you know, notice like a problem is a problem. Like that's a bad thing. mm except it's an occupation. It's an opportunity. And an opportunity, that's right. And I've, I've got a mantra that I use that's ostensibly a version of how else and what else, and it is it's not a done deal or it's not done yet. And a lot of manifestors are, are operate from exactly the opposite premise, which is it's done, I've just got to be that my perfect blah, blah, blah arrives. But I operate from a place of I'm in partnership with the universe. Mm. So let's just say you and I have a conversation and it goes badly for whatever reason. I'm, as a human being, I'm likely to get off the phone and want to avoid you and I'm going to be upset and I'm either going to 
internalise it or make you wrong or some rubbish. But if I stand in, it's not done yet, that anything is not resolved, anything not resolved yet is simply not resolved yet, then I've got a real access to call you and say, hey, let's just knock that out. Equally, if I, I don't know, hit a roadblock and I can't move forward, call it metaphor for life or anything, it's just not done yet. It's not a done deal. So there's so much more freedom around the failing and succeeding or non-succeeding. And it just, it has me, it completely deals with my anxiety and allows me to have a a sense of I've got hands, my hands on the levers and dials of life. Mm. Oh, and what else here and who else here? And also demands of me to then go, it's not all on me because that's never going to go particularly well. It's like, who else can I call in? Let me give Kath a call. Let me call Sean. And it's all creative thinking because it's what else and who else, how else. Mm, that word and yet. And that can only work if I'm willing to not know the answer. Yeah, exactly. And just that simple word yet, like like you say, oh, that's so powerful. So I meet people and I say, oh, you know, would you like to come and do some drumming or something? And they say, oh, I can't drum. <laughs> and I say, it's easy. You just hit the bloody thing with a stick. <laughs> But in fact, I think probably a a more um, perhaps uh, I'm trying to think of an alternative to the word nice, and I can't think of one, so I'm going to go with it. A nicer <laughs> thing to say might be, "Or you can't play the drum yet." That's yeah. it. That's it. And I mean, even that language, language. I, I bang on about language because it's so powerful in my in what I see. In my, what I see that um, even saying you can't drum yet implies there's a place to get to. Yet what if there's always Kath and her drum exploring noises, sounds, rhythms, vibrations, expansion, transformation, learnings, responses, reactions? Then you don't need to know how to do anything. And that's where I stand with these intuitive weaving workshops. You don't need to know anything. I I will give you some really simple key techniques to get traction on those sticks but all the rest is you listening in. And also it helps to create that context that I do, which is imagine, as you might in an Indigenous culture, listening to the piece, what's mm. she telling you, and that you might have a, gra- a line of grandmothers, your ancestors, your ancestors, all the ancestors of the land standing behind you, and that your hands will remember. Time and time again I've heard, watched people grapple in a workshop with just the dexterity of fingers because they're used to a keyboard or they've just never done it before. And then at some point during the workshop, they're like giddy like a little kid going, oh, my God, I can suddenly do it. And it's like speed's picked up, they're in flow, their hands have some kind of ancestral remembering and the brain's occupied elsewhere and things just kick in. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's the same, I guess, with anything you do with your hands because that's something I also say in the drumming sometimes is that, you know, you know how to do this because you've done this before. That's it. And humans for for time immemorial have, you know, sung, they've played drums, they've woven baskets and canoes and clothes and a million other things. Um, And... Or they've carved them from wood or something like that. They've taken natural materials and used them and they've created them into useful items and they've created them into drums and musical instruments. Mm, mm. Uh, so when we do finally get our hands on, on something and hold it, and literally, and this is part of what I do in the mindful drumming, is that even just sitting, holding the drum and just feeling 
It's weight. Yes. Feeling what's made of and listening Lovely. exactly listening to the yes. drum. I, I sort of haven't put in those words before, but definitely listening to the drum. And even as I'm talking, I'm uh, I know this is radio, not TV, but if you were to see me, I'm holding my <laughs> hand, I'm holding my hands. And maybe you could do this too, Sarah, just as a little experiment. If you could just relax your shoulders and hold your hands out in front of you, oh, you might have to have yeah. a speakerphone, I guess, and just yeah. have the palms facing up and just relax the palms and just notice any sensation there. And then just imagine that you're holding like the um, the curved part of a djembe drum or something like that. Um, and you're just feeling that weight in your fingers pressing down and you're just um, feeling the, the surface of the drum. Can, can you feel sensation in your fingers and palms? I absolutely can. And the process you're walking me through is calling me to be present because I'm pulling in my imagination. What is that from familiar and, uh, and unfamiliar? What's that feel like? So I immediately experience my body relaxing as I'm leaning into your voice and my imagination. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm so glad I'm recording this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that as a quote. Um, I should say at this point, if you've just tuned into YASFM, it's Kath Kovac here on Women's Voices, Women's Wisdom, and I've been speaking with Sarah Norton from Sarah Norton Creative in Barrel, and we've been talking about weaving and drumming and and how there's, you know, no wrong way to do art or create anything. And it's an inborn thing that I think gets pushed out of us by, by society. Because it used to be that everybody was a, was a weaver. Everybody was a drummer. Everybody was a singer. And now in this society, it's like people have the feeling that, oh, you need to be good at something to be called that. So you only can be called a singer if you've released a record or only called a drummer if you play in a band. Or, you know, I know. And, and it's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. But in fact, it's our, it's our birthright. It's, it's, it's what we were born to do. And it's what we've always done for, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of years. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because like, yes, 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 I'm on board with all of that. And yet when I do something for the first time, I really still expect myself to be great at it. And it just is nuts. It's so insane. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and the reminder of, you know, when I first started to drive, I was just plain right da- dangerous. Now I sip a coffee, put on mascara. Well, I don't actually anymore. But, you know, like it's about learning and the willingness to learn or rather the unwillingness to fail, in inverted commas, or, or be in that uncomfortable space is actually what stops us from developing the freaking mastery. Yes. Yes. It's so, I mean, like so many things, the magical things in life are counterintuitive. I mean, I find I, I've been weaving, doing this intuitive weaving, although I didn't call it that for nearly 10 years. And it, um, it took on new level about three years ago when I was nursing my mum who had terminal cancer. And I, I, was, I was really struggling with what she was suffering, what she was going through, that I was going to lose my mum, like a whole lot of having to be with very uncomfortable situations right and um i used watercolor doodling to as as a daily practice to have me get present and be able to keep surrendering why because you can't control water i mean it's so simple and so obvious right although we do as humans we have dams and blah Mm. blah blah, but you know try it with paintbrush and color And, and so now i run intuitive watercolor workshops for the same reason it's not the same as 
the waving, but it's still using your hands. It's still requiring the relinquishing of being right or that you know the outcome or that you have to get it right or that there is even a right. And it doesn't matter what medium you use. As long as you're using your hands and allowing some capacity of getting present and in your body and flow, See, I've just seen people at the end of a workshop say, oh, my God, I suddenly understood why my teenage son keeps doing blah, blah, blah. Or I'm now going to go home and invite my blah, blah, blah partner, friend, sister to do blah, blah, blah. It's like these are three-hour workshops, but they they alter your mind and your body and your capacity to be present sufficiently that it spills into the next week and the next week. So, you know, drawing on what you said about we've been doing this for ever but we've had this little blip where we've forgotten stuff Mm. what you and I do is miraculous and I don't say that in any way tooting my trumpet at all more like I'm driven to make by something far bigger than me and as I've understood more the intuitive capacity of this work which is only as I say since I was nursing my mum three years ago then like really seeing oh my goodness this is way more powerful because like I said to you in the workshop with me a week ago, in those intuitive weaving workshops, all we're doing is twiddling soggy sticks. That's it. <laughs> yes. And yet I love it that. is super powerful. It is. And on a whole nother level. And, you know, if we get, if we stayed literal rather than allow something else to arise, all we'd be doing was twiddling soggy sticks. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And one of the other – so I practice Qigong, which is like Tai Chi, and I do that as a daily practice because I've realized that I just have to to survive because when I don't do it, things go south. And so what you just said about just twiggling sticks, so it's a bit like that in that, you know, in the Tai Chi or Qigong we have certain movements. You know, you probably everyone's seen – uh, people in the gardens, you know, in China, it's very popular for people to go to the gardens and do Tai Chi, things like that. Mm. Uh, most people, I think, would be familiar with how it looks. Um, but so there's the movements, but then there's the feeling behind the movements. And mm-hmm. anyone can learn the movements and do them sort of superficially, like, you know, extend. I could, you know, tell you now, like, you know, extend your right arm 45 degrees and lift it up to shoulder height and then open your fingers and then bring it into yourself, blah, blah, blah. I could go on. But mm. you could be doing that with a stiff shoulder or a really stiff fingers or it could be causing you pain and, and you don't know how to adjust it or you could just be mindlessly doing it while you're thinking about, you know, um, what's on the footy later, on the telly later, you know, which footy game or whatever you're thinking about. But if I say, you know, feel the weight of your arm, relax, you know, have your fingers point to the ground, allow your shoulder to soften, imagine that there's a helium balloon attached to your wrist and allow your arm to gently float up to the corner of the room, right, that's different, but it's telling you to do the same thing, but it's telling, it's getting you to do it just purely by feeling your body and allowing it to move. And that's the difference. And that's that's how the benefit. So if people just do the movements kind of mechanically without – and I mean, I'm guilty of this, so this is why I can say it. I've, for years I just did it mechanically. Um, mm. And you get some benefit because you're moving your body, but that's it. You, get, you don't get the connection to the energy. You don't get um, the relaxation. So the idea of Qigong is to – to relax really, not superficial relaxing, like you're sitting in the couch watching telly, that's actually still sucking up your energy, um, but real relaxation where the um, muscles can relax away from the bones and the tendons can mm-hmm. relax and the blood can mm-hmm. flow and the lymph can flow. That's true relaxation. 
Um, so yeah, that's sort of kind of what you're saying about twiddling soggy sticks versus, I guess, what molding, not molding, that's not the right word either, but allowing them to move in the way that, that best feels, you know, to, to you and them that they want to go. Cause I remember in the workshop, I wanted to try and, you know, get something to go a certain way and I just couldn't figure. And then you just said, Oh, well, it looks like she wants to go this way. And, mm. and you just literally like changed an angle of something. And I was like, mm. Oh, and then it was easy. Um, so it's just, it's just such an amazing thing, isn't it? And before I just want to go back to where you said, you know, we've had a blip. Right, so we've been doing this stuff, creating and singing and dancing and drumming and all those things forever. We've had a blip. And honestly, that blip is so short. I mean, it's like a few thousand years, that blip, compared to the hundred or 200,000 years of human history. Our last few thousand years have been a blip and they've been a big learning curve. <laughs> and as may, perhaps we could look at it as, what did you say at the start, a period of non-success? There we go. There we go. I just wiped off all of the human civilization and you know non-success, not civilization. Um, but what yeah, like done, thing. what you've actually done is put into probably I would assert effective perspective. It's very easy to at the moment look at the world, or if you're brave enough, watch the news, or and and get caught in the swirl of oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And all that is going to do is the exact opposite of what you just created that Qigong does to authentically relax you and have your nervous system settle. Because when that happens and your body feels safe, your sense feels safe, your soul feels safe, your capacity to operate on the planet as a as a human being, as a parent, bringing in compassion, be a much better leader, all of that's more available to you. Mm. If we be that it's all screwed, how do we access that? Yeah. So yeah. it has to be, and which is why I still stand in. It's not. It's not a done deal. It's not done yet. Yeah, absolutely. That's really fantastic. And for me, also, it's a perspective shift. So I had been um, suffering quite a lot from menopausal uh, menopausal depression, and six months ago, I would look around at my garden and I'd see all the weeds, and I just couldn't think of anything positive. And I was like, Oh my god, I hate this place. I hate my garden. I hate my house. I hate everything. I want to go and live in a little house by the beach, or I want to live in a flat with no garden at all. <laughs> and everything was negative. I could not see a positive thing about the future, about about my anything. And then now. I since I've been returned to my daily practice and you know had a lot of help and support obviously from other areas but now I look at my garden and nothing's changed the still weeds are like you know knee high thigh high in some parts it hasn't actually changed at all there's still piles of rubbish here and there what have you but what's changed is now I see it just as untapped potential and I think, oh, that, that, I'm going to put another thing there for a veggie garden and I'm going to turn this into a big compost pile because I really don't want to weed that bit and I'm going to put some bushes there, whatever. And I just see potential, potential, potential everywhere. Um, Such and, an illustration of it's an inside job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. But to get the inside job working, you really need to – I found anyway I, I needed obviously outside help to get the inside job going, but it is also from yourself. That um, the energy. Yeah, oh, no, no, I didn't mean um, like we should do it on our own. I meant oh. inside job, as in simple, so simple, mm, not mm. easy, and such an expression of requiring community. Mm. You know, yes. do like I said earlier. You know, like if, if Sarah's relying just on Sarah, it's not going to go well because yeah. I can only see or know or call in what I can call in. Well, it might be great. It is very much about. And that goes back to that thing about relinquishing that you're right or that you know the answer. Mm. 
like, well, let me get curious. I feel awful. What's needed? Who can I go to? What's out there? And I, I, I keep coming back to myself definitely and I see again and again in my clients, particularly in the one-on-one coaching, the willingness to be that I can't see everything that's at play mm. is the – it's like the pressure valve. You know, my husband's being this or my son's being this or my boss is that or the business. If you know it all, you got nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then, you, and then you get right about all the jerks who aren't doing what they need to be doing, which is probably possibly accurate, but it doesn't give you any freedom. You know, it's so yeah. much about what can't I see that could just, just actually not even being, not even having an answer to that, but just being willing to ask that question. Mm. And, you know, that's where particularly, you know, you mentioned menopause or depression or meant just the whole experience of menopause or change. You know, when you're first into something, in the case of me, first when I was driving, I was just plain dangerous. Fast forward a few years, I'm eating, drinking, phoning, mascaring, the whole thing. It's like the first time you do anything, it's always going to be frightening and difficult and uncomfortable. And particularly with something like menopause, you've never been through it that you remember. Mm. And we don't give ourselves a lot of space around that. I remember when I went through it. Oh my God, I was just this ball of anxiety. I know I had it early. So I would be going into meetings and workshops, terrified the whole way through that I ended up this sweaty mess with sweat pouring down my cleavage, down my neck, and down my face. It was like constant anxiety. It was just dreadful. So I completely relate to it being an awful thing. But to then go be willing to find different sources, because what works for you will be different to what works for me. Oh, absolutely. And I think we need to understand that. Just because Sally tried that thing and it didn't work, it's not. it doesn't mean it's off the table. It, it is all about being willing to explore and try and go places and see things that aren't the obvious or, you know, and it, and it takes something to be willing to do that because it requires a bit more effort and you've got to be a bit more creative and a bit more imaginative, except if we go back to the brain's most happy when it's solving and creating and exploring and because we're more present, we're, more, we're sitting up a bit straighter on the chair, which, again, feels uncomfortable. But does it? No, you're actually more alive. I literally just sat up straighter in my chair when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I realised I was slouching in the radio chair. <laughs> oh, that's all so fantastic, everything you're saying. I think we could have like a 10-hour conversation. Um, the thing about... Sitting in that discomfort, you know, and so menopause, you know, uh, people understand effectively our knowledge as a whole about menopause is very limited and people are aware of that women get hot flushes and they're aware that uh, women, you know, might have irregular periods or they may not be aware of that before they finish and Basically, it's a bit of a joke to many people like, oh, she's going through the change. Don't worry about her. Oh, she's just being menopausal, super bitch face or whatever. Um, and um, so there's no understanding of the fact that menopause, in fact, is more than a collection of, of health symptoms. It's a massive, massive psychological journey. And our brains change as much as what they do when you go through that early stage um, of life and when you go through teenagerhood. It's basically like a second teenage um, angst phase where parts of your brain, you know, don't connect anymore and parts develop and whatever. And if you are not able to have the space for that to happen and to feel a little crazy and know that it's going to be okay to feel depressed or to feel mad or to feel that you want to chuck it all in and just go and live in a tent in Africa or something, then that's totally normal. And it's your brain literally 
changing. And if if we don't give ourselves the space during menopause to allow that, allow that descent and then allow that, that period where you're just like in the dark, like I felt, you know, like a seed underground, you know. Um, well, no, I didn't. I felt like, I don't know, a big, horrible black rock I don't know but the the metaphor to sort of think of though I found helpful that I saw um you know on Facebook meme where else <laughs> where we get all our knowledge um of a seed underground and it said something like I thought I was you know under a rock or something but it turned out I was just waiting to to sprout and then the seed then sprouts right and grows because the seed only knows the darkness the seed doesn't know anything else and it's That's only the it. sprout and that knows the light the yeah, it needs yes, it. It needs it to right. be ready to germinate. Absolutely. And so that's what I felt like. And unfortunately, I mean, lucky for me, I worked from home and I have done for many years. So for me, if I was having menopausal moments, it was all right. I could do whatever I wanted at home. But um, as for women in the workplace going through menopause, in the you know, if you have to actually go to work and deal with that stuff, I mean, I don't think, I don't know what would have happened, but I cannot imagine that I would have kept my job. I would have had to quit any workplace. I could not have functioned with what happened to me. And um, I know a lot of women just, you know, they have to. They can't quit. You know, they've got to pay their mortgage. They've got to do everything. And I don't think that they're supported at work at all. So this is one of my, you know, bandwagons. You know what do you call it when you stand on a box and soapbox? <laughs> And look, I think there's such an interesting nuance to that because I, I, I don't want menopause to be something where women need help. I want it to have a language about it where it's a prof- where it's recognised as a profound spiritual coming into power. Yes, yes. I cannot tell the dif- I cannot. I ca- cannot put into words the difference that I experience of myself and my voice and how I and how it lands. Surprising even to me in contrast to pre-menopause and I've watched it in women and I've I've time and time again and I was someone who rolled my eyes because my mother was hugely vocal about how awful it was and I was a teenager at the time so you can just imagine my (laughs) capacity and capacity for any listening for it so I was like whatever and when I got there I remember thinking oh my gosh Oh, like shocking to me, the, depri- the de- deprivation of sleep. The mm. in- hormones are the most important thing and the- one of the most influential things in our body. So it's massive. But I think there's something very powerful. What our current society is not great with is we live in a world where we have old people, often behind closed doors in nursing homes. So to map a society lacking or absent of elders, we need to... There's, there's a shift required there, and I think the conversation about menopause being such a profound, power, powerful, spiritual coming into power has the capacity to alter how we relate to old people, and I'm doing air, what do you call them, air whatsy-doobies. Oh, with your hands. It's such, yeah, it's such a difference from old people mm. who are a burden on society mm. and an obligation-filled relationship yeah. to elders. Like it's a really different model and yeah. uh, you know watch this space there's big changes coming in that regard oh i think so and um because the elders do have all the wisdom even though we might not want to admit it they've been there and we see them as elderly people in a nursing home like you say but they've been there they've been teenagers they've been parents they've gone through menopause they've done all the things and they have so much wisdom to share uh that's just not 
uh, valued by society. And to me, it's a similar thing with menopause is that society values maternity, values that women mm. can produce babies. Fair enough. It's an amazing thing. Uh, but they do not want to know about, talk about or value the very thing that makes that possible, which is the menstrual cycle before <laughs> becoming a mother, and then the end of the road of the menopause when our fertile days are over. Those two things, you know, which are vitally important, uh, are just glossed over and they're not well, respected he- or, or they're not, you know, given any credence by society. But they are the three, like mother, you know, ment- uh, the beginning of menstruation and that's 40 years of, of menstrual cycling. Maybe you have a baby, maybe you don't, but every single woman is going to go through menopause, whether or not she's had any mm. babies. And that is not valued and not given the importance it is. And if that was valued, then I think women would, yeah, just have such different experience or at least the capacity for a different experience. Well, there's a couple, there's so much. Then again, look, as, as you say, we'd have a 10-hour conversation. There's so much in there. We live in a world where it's about outcome and outputs and produce and growth and expansion. You know, your measure of success is on growth. If you, is your business growing? Is your country GDP growing? It's all, that's, that's what we measure it by. It's a very capitalist and often I would describe as patriarchal and left brain thinking. So you can imagine mapping that onto a woman. Our bits are not visible, number mm. one. Now, even though most men are pretty interested in our bits, <laughs> menopause and menstrual cycle are mysterious. They don't understand them. Yep. There's been this really effective trafficking of shame based on um, fear. It's really effective, and we traffic in it as much as men. But if you also think about the left brain and the right brain, our world operates on left brain accomplishment and doing. An elder operates in the realm of being. Women who are hunters and gatherers or gatherers, it's much more being. For men, in terms of hunting, it's much more doing. What we don't have is a balance between the left and the right brain. And that's what's slowly coming in as intuition is becoming more more considered as as a valuable tool both in business development and in training and development and in family and children rearing and partnership development. Mm. As that becomes less kooky, we are getting more of a balance in the left and right brain and it will naturally start to cause an, a visibility and a value placed on the being, mm. not yeah. just our world which is all about doing and fast and accomplishment and that success Yep. Uh, I measure my success by what I do and what I get and it's just it's not it's not actually it's not really it's not real. No. That's the thing, which is why there's imbalance on the planet, because it's not actually sustainable. Hence yeah. the blip. Yep. Look exactly. Um Sarah oh, I just banged the microphone. Didn't need that. Um just I need to finish, um, because my show's nearly over. <laughs> But I just wanted to say that this thing about measuring success. So I was in the uh, chiropractor the other day waiting for my son to have a session and they had some affirmation cards on the desk and one I pulled out said, I measure my success by how much fun I'm having. And I'm like, oh, that is fantastic. That is perfect. And I took a photo of it and I thought that's what I'm going to do, you know, and if it's not fun, then why am I doing it? (laughs) So that's my – and so I think that, that, you know, the way I feel now, and like you're saying, that postmenopausal thing, once you get through it, and the power, I feel so much more in my power now. I always thought that was a bit of an odd concept, but now I literally feel it. 
and mm. um, life has completely changed for the better. And when you can see the positive and you ex- and you expect positive, you get positive. You know, you put it out, you get back what you put out. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Sarah. I have so enjoyed talking to you. I hope everyone on Yes FM here has enjoyed listening to Sarah um, talk about well everything. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'll have to have you on again um, next year, and we'll talk about other stuff. And so, yes, thank you so, so much for joining us. And if anyone would like to find you online to see what you do, what's the best place for them to find you? My website is the best place to find me and what I do, www.sarahnortoncreative.com. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so www.sarahnortoncreative.com. All right, fantastic. Well, I'm just going to leave you with a very little bit of music from Missy Higgins before we go to the news, and I shall be back on air at 10 o'clock next Friday talking to another wonderful woman, uh, hearing more women's voices and women's wisdom on the radio. So have a great day, everyone. So we've put an end to it this time I'm no longer yours and you're no longer mine You said this hill looks far too steep If I'm not even sure it's me you wanna keep 